Seed to Sound, presented by Banks, a podcast for cannabis professionals. Hey everyone, welcome back to Seed to Sound. This month, in honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, we're bringing you a special episode surrounding cannabis use for individuals with mental illnesses. We really wanted to dive in to not only the facts regarding cannabis and mental health, but also the why. Why are so many individuals choosing cannabis over traditional pharmaceuticals? Why are people talking to their doctors, their psychiatrists, their therapists about utilizing cannabis for treatment? For this episode, I sat down with four people that I actually work with here at Vangst, and the five of us discussed our experiences, both with mental illnesses and using cannabis as a form of treatment. This is where I give my obligatory trigger warning for an episode like this. We never want to put anyone at risk, and the stories expressed here may trigger an adverse reaction. If listening to this episode begins to upset you in any way, I implore you to stop listening and to seek out your support team. We are here today to share, to offer support, and to help further destigmatize mental illnesses and cannabis use. Let's dive right in. Hi, uh, my name's Amanda Guerrero, and I smoke weed every day. (laughs) (laughs) I also uh, have been using cannabis as a mental health resource for almost 10 years uh so i am very excited to speak with uh speak to my experience uh using cannabis and hopefully help others as they seek other alternative resources hi i'm lindsay vanoski i smoke weed every day and i have been using cannabis as a mental health tool for oh my gosh almost a decade now for multiple different types of disorders hi i'm kenzie um i smoke weed just about every day And I've been using it for only two years, Um, so it's been a huge part of my mental recovery, actually, more so on the end. Hello, I'm Jessica. I like to identify myself as a chronic SAG girl because I live with mental health, and I use weed to help cope and as a self-care mechanism. Um, Smoking on and off, probably probably 11 years but I would say I identified that oh wait this is helpful for my mental health needs probably at least maybe about the past five to six years. My name is Hannah and I no longer use cannabis um, as a recovery tool for my mental illness but I have in the past. According to the National Alliance on Mental Illness approximately one in five adults in the U.S. experiences mental illness in a given year and according to Mental Health First Aid In the U.S., almost half of adults will experience a mental illness during their lifetime. I was diagnosed with manic depression and bipolar disorder uh, in 2010 after a series of traumas that occurred um, throughout a two and a half year period where uh, in hindsight, which is always 2020, Uh, I realized it was more so a kid going through a crisis versus uh, actually having a a true mental diagnosis. Um, However, there are definitely um, correlations between manic depression and myself. Um, But I was diagnosed in 2010, and I was diagnosed by a licensed professional. Uh, That professional then proceeded to put me on a myriad of uh, drugs like Valium, Lithium, Clonopin, you you name it, I was on it because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me or why I was a certain way. Um, And I began smoking weed when I was 15. uh, So I had, you know, already had exposure to it, but it was definitely not nearly as frequent, uh, frequently used in my life as it is currently now. Uh, I was diagnosed by myself um, with an eating disorder. But also a medical professional, um, basically in college, I had really 
really struggled with body image, um, diet fads, and just being an extremely athletic person, but not knowing how to love my body for that. Uh, so I think my sophomore year of college is when it really started to get out of hand, and I noticed it before anyone else did just because of the vile thoughts I had in my own head um, and the amount of weight I actually saw drop, which had never happened for me before in life. Uh, so I actually consulted a counselor at my school and they automatically started talking to me like I had anorexia or bulimia. And I just could not empathize with A, hating my body that much. Um, I never wanted to starve myself. I loved eating food and I loved the social aspect of it. And B, I could never empathize with um, throwing up after a meal. And so I did my own research because I'm a nerd and like to know <laughs> everything about myself, especially. So I came across a pretty underrecognized eating disorder called orthorexia. And it's more so this fixation on perfect foods and the perfection of taking them in your body. Mm. <laughs> Um, and so that was hard to do, not only with a limited amount of or category of foods that I thought were perfect, quote unquote, um, but I would scold myself for overeating these perfect foods as well. And so um, after talking to a counselor for a little over a year, I realized it wasn't helping anything until they um, highly encouraged um, inpatient care. And that scared the absolute daylights out of me. Cannabis came into my life about three or four years into my recovery. I was forced to do two inpatients um, and both were like against what I wanted to do and it was because my doctor was like well you're 18 and you know you're doing this and this you're you're bipolar and you're going through all these crazy things and the meds obviously were exacerbating some of the the the, the um, emotional um, and physical uh, turmoil and distress that my body and like my mind were in and it was very um, I remember like I would my parents would like to talk to my parents be like guys what the hell like why you know what why are you not advocating for me and they're like well the doctor knows and it's just like and I still firmly believe like to this day the doctor misdiagnosed me and you know since that point like since I you know move, removed myself from um, that like mental belief that I have this disorder that I had there is something inherently wrong with me versus okay there are certain stimulants that you know give my body this sort of a reaction or there are certain like you know external stimulants whether it's friend groups or you know certain you know recreational drugs that people take or whatever the case may be or environmental situations like it was a very um it was a, a hard first step into the journey of like self I, I guess acceptance but it was also just like to this day, I still, you know, there's still a part of me that I'm still he like learning how to heal, not to be afraid of doctors and like not to, to be afraid that, uh, you know, I well, like, not to be afraid that I'm going to be misdiagnosed against and end up in the hospital somewhere because I did not communicate on my behalf properly. Speaking of being misdiagnosed, um, perfect segue. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> um, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 16 and put on a slew of medications that shock, shock didn't work because I didn't have bipolar disorder and um you were 16 16 oh, they make you feel like god it's yeah. so young um and I, I I didn't even realize because I was just so happy to have a label put on whatever the hell was yeah, happening exactly. with me mm -hmm. that I didn't question the doctor for a second 
Um, and it took three years to figure out that I did not have bipolar disorder. Um, I have severe generalized anxiety disorder, and there are a lot of similarities. Um, I get anxious to the point of manic, but it's not the same, obviously, as we all know. Um, so I know why the doctor misdiagnosed me, but it didn't make it any easier. Yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafter, when I was 23, 24, I was um, diagnosed with PTSD for an incident that happened at um, a previous employer of mine, actually. Um, something that happened at work during work hours that caused me to not only um, quit slash lose my job, they bas basically tried to fire me um, for what happened. Um, but yeah, it just triggered a lot of a lot of different things that happened and made it very difficult for me to go anywhere near that place of employment for a very long time and um, also started a huge issue of distrust um, with other employers. It was something that I, I still struggle with, even being here at Bankst, um, kind of learning to, to trust people enough that they're not going to hurt me yeah. um, or judge me for my uh, mental illnesses. And, um, and yeah, so that's me living with GAD and uh, the remnants of PTSD. Hannah, I had no idea we were so similar. Same. <laughs> <laughs> um, my formal diagnosis, I have complex PTSD. And so with symptoms of living with PTSD, I experience anxiety and depression. Um, I've attempted suicide three times in my life. And so it's uh, it's difficult. And, and trust is a big, big fucking issue. Yep. Sorry, I don't even know if I can cuss. <laughs> <laughs> you can, <you're> <laughs> Go ahead and cuss your own. <laughs> and I struggle with that to this day. Um, you know, thank God god for therapy and really yep. bomb ass counselors and social workers and everybody else in the field doing what they're doing um metaphysically and non and all the good stuff but yeah like even here like i have a hard time trusting whether it's uh my you know coworkers that sit right beside me or whether it's someone i don't know or just people like in general um and it's it's hard it really really fucking is yeah I totally feel that. I actually, I've had a very turbulent relationship with my mental health um, for a variety of reasons. One of the main reasons actually being the mismanagement of care and how mm. difficult it can be to get, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, yep. consistent, um, comprehensive care. Yep. Um, I was, ac I've actually only recently been clinically diagnosed with major depressive disorder, um, but my journey kind of started back in college. It's funny, I have a very twofold relationship with cannabis and mental health because smoking cannabis in college is actually sort of what, tr I don't want to say triggered my depression, but it made me realize how depressive I was. Mm -hmm. um, and it did, it exacerbated a lot of my um, depression symptoms at the time. Um, so it took a while for me to kind of slow my roll on that and get myself some help. So I started seeing, you know, the counselors on campus um, and then I transferred schools. Then I went that kind of like, you know, threw a wrench in my care. Um, and so then I was going to say, you could transfer, and that doesn't necessarily doesn't mean that that campus, anything. you know, school, yeah. whatever, is going to have care. Yeah. I mm, think that's good point. So luckily, they did, but, I mean, it didn't, none of my records, none of the work I had done at my previous school translated. And it even took me a while just to kind of get. That's so weird. Yeah, nope. I mean, part of that could have been on myself. Like, I could have managed that better myself, but as a mental health patient at the time, you know, it's kind of. I find it really 
difficult and I think it's really kind of messed up how much you have to be your own advocate and how yeah. much management you have to do of your own care when you're in this All state the you got to put oh in just yeah. to take care of yourself when you're in a position where you're not even able to function at times yeah like, absolutely and you're like oh here be be here make sure you call me 24 hours to make sure you can you know confirm your appointment all that yeah. kind of stuff it's just like way too much for somebody who's in crisis to be dealing with so um yeah there were years where I wasn't you know managing my my symptoms at all I you know it was really really turbulent um to the point where actually I started developing anxiety symptoms as a secondary um diagnosis that I actually am not clinically diagnosed on but that actually was very similar to your situation where I I was very vulnerable to a very toxic manager at a previous job um fairly recently um and that's actually why I'm so excited to be here at Vanks because not only do we have a community where this is understood and accepted and talked about but you know I'm here to kind of heal and prove myself because it when you go through something like that your confidence and your self-esteem is just absolutely shot and then to try and operate in a professional setting like that I mean that is tough I'm sure you guys can absolutely oh my gosh relate to that yeah you know so I will say if we have any employers listening please look into (laughs) trauma-informed care practices because someone will come to your business and give you a training whether it's you or your leadership team to learn how to talk about mental health amongst your employees and how to respect their boundaries and all that good stuff. It is a thing. You don't have to Google everything. (laughs) (laughs) There are specialists. What I experienced in 2010, from 2010 to 2012, from a a medical, like, professional experience has severely traumatized Mm -hmm. me and my ability to trust or connect with mental health professionals. Um, I actually had to have, shout out to my sister, my woomy, um, had to have my sister uh, book my doctor's appointments. Um, I hadn't seen a doctor in God knows how long, and, uh, oh, I know, I'm not going to say but uh <laughs> y'all could probably do the math um and i had it like that i had not gone to any doctor for an incredibly long time because i was genuine i like anxiety um sweating i could not articulate my thoughts i would uh have like almost like pass out blackouts because i was so genuinely terrified that i was going to be diagnosed with something else because i'm experiencing something that i don't genuinely understand how or where or why it comes from you know or where where it comes from and and why but I do understand as I was saying before there are certain you know environments certain stimuli that you know can exacerbate these symptoms and you know to your point of finding a a a holistic you know kind of well comprehensive like healthcare plan versus just a a doctor in a white coat telling you Mm -hmm. well you're crazy and you should just take these drugs because they're gonna make you feel better and Mm -hmm. I'll see you at your next crises handling it all one off you know that's something that you know thank god for my sister um and her just being able to uh speak to my insurance company on my behalf um because she's my designated person um but thank god for her and and her you know encouraging me um to go see a doctor because this was last month was the first month that i saw a doctor in um a very long time so thanks to my sister i will say that um the mental health industry field whatever um they are starting to recognize us In 2014, the American Association of Suicidology uh, introduced their program for uh, attempt survivors, such as myself, and other mental health communities and agencies have also done the same. Um, So, for example, here in Colorado, with the Rocky Mountain Crisis Line, they have a peer support line. So if we are wanting to speak with someone that is 
is us you know like you know i could call you Mm -hmm. but if we were calling this professional line it would be someone like us with lived experience certified by the state uh, because they go through at least i know in other states they do go through a 40-hour training here it might be different because i haven't looked into it but they do have services now and it there's such a need for peer advocates Mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it, it's a thing. It's it's yeah. coming along. I don't want to direct the conversation towards myself, but I please have... We are here for you. I haven't had anything to like chime in on quite yet because my experience is really similar, but in a 180 perspective, like looking into a mirror almost, um, everything's just backwards because... I studied science, so naturally that made me feel smart, but also have the ability to back the reasons I was doing things, Mm -hmm. or so I thought. Um, It was a good way to justify it to those who would ask me, Um, especially when it started to become visible. It was something Mm -hmm. I couldn't hide, and so especially when I was 94 pounds, I think, was the lowest I got um it was really (laughs) impossible to hide from like a mile away and I would still try and back it with my science knowledge um so my family loves me and cares about me so much they're Colorado and I was in Seattle and um I don't think they purposely made trips to come see me or maybe they did now that I think of it (laughs) um but they would call me out especially my mom um and I put walls up with everyone because they'd be I was like, gonna say how'd you take that when you received that somewhat confrontation yeah I didn't take it well like someone would come up and be like why don't you eat pasta and be like it's it's carbs I've been gluten-free for six years like I don't do gluten I've built up an allergy to it and some of that was true but a lot of it was my anxiety mm. backed with my scientific knowledge as an argument and they'd be like oh why don't you try zucchini pasta and then my mind would be like but then you'll eat too much and then like that'll be unhealthy for you and I would back that with my knowledge of science once again and so it was really hard for people to confront me I actually lost almost all of my friends in college except for a few really solid ones Um, and so my mom was just about the only person that could get to me for some reason Mm -hmm. it drove me nuts I hated it but she would like chip away at those walls and uh, she convinced me to not only go back into counseling, but seriously consider inpatient care, mm-hmm. um, which I didn't ever do. But I think the fact that I had considered it after she talked to me was a really, really big step in the right direction for the first time. And so I hated getting into a counselor and then them plugging me into a dietitian as well. Mm-hmm. And then they would take two hours almost every other day to just sit with me and one of them sat with me to eat half a Lara bar for an hour she just like wanted to chill and have good conversation to see if I'd be comfortable enough to eat that Um, so they took a lot of time with me and it Mm. was free quote-unquote because I was paying for tuition at my school Um, so that yeah, people wanted to help me, but I hated it. It, got, yeah. it ripped the anxiety rate. Was well, a lot of, of acceptance around that? You know, it's like, oh, if I have to go get this help, then that means I've got this. Like, mm-hmm. then I'm not taking. You know, like I don't have uh, not responsibility, but like I don't have control. Yeah. Control's a big deal. Yeah, and when we feel like we've lost it, it's almost like we've lost our identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
A study published in 2017 on whether cannabis was being substituted for prescription drugs found that 46% of the over 2,500 individuals surveyed had previously substituted cannabis for their prescribed medications. The most common classes of the drugs substituted were narcotics or opioids, anxiolytics or benzodiazepines, and antidepressants. While that is a small number of individuals surveyed, it does appear to be following a trend we're seeing everywhere. And this study was just one of several conducted over the last few years. Interestingly enough, these substitutions are happening all over the U.S. and not just in states where medical cannabis is legal. So it's really interesting because using cannabis like three or four years into this process of breaking down those anxieties one by one, not even knowing what they are, just coming across them randomly and breaking them down. Cannabis has wiped almost all of them out. It's crazy. Like, I actually have the ability to sit here and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I have the ability to, like, let people critique me and feel that that it's constructive. Um, And, like I said, it's knocked down so many food anxieties. I still didn't know that I even had. It was crazy. Well, as I mentioned, I had a really... I have a twofold relationship with it because at first I kind of blamed cannabis for my depression. Um, and it took me a while to realize that no, it it just kind of exacerbated it. It made me realize, you know, these are all symptoms I've been experiencing, um, and I should probably fix. Um, and again, super turbulent road to go down, but, um, I kind of reintroduced cannabis back into my life. Um, one, like I said, I was without medication. I didn't have insurance. I was really, really unmanaged at that time. Um, and it was, primarily to sleep to start and then I realized holy crap you know this isn't depressing me this is helping me um I I started sleeping I I have a really fun little tale so um I've been in a long-term relationship for almost 10 years now and for the first four and a half years of our relationship my partner and I couldn't sleep in the same bed together because of it because my depression symptoms because of the anxiety and the sleeping and the lack thereof. Um, so cannabis actually genuinely like changed my life in that aspect. Like mm-hmm. I was able, I've now been able to sleep in the same bed as my partner. If I hadn't turned to cannabis, I think I don't want to say you know we wouldn't be together, but I think there would be some severe problems in our relationship okay, because yeah. of that. Yeah, it would have been a very different path. Yeah, for sure. yeah. I um, I don't know. I started using cannabis um, when I was fifteen, like I said earlier, uh, and especially too when I was going through the dark ages. Um, I always remembered like the times I'd smoke weed in high school. The times I'd smoke weed, you know, when I was hanging out with my friends, were always like the happiest times, like the most fun times, you know, the the best times and right around you know when i graduated uh, high school um and was going into my uh, freshman year of college um cannabis legalization was getting some traction i mean colorado and washington had just legalized medical programs you know they were up and running uh, colorado had been two years underway and i had a couple friends that had moved out to colorado that you know were talking all about oh, i got my medical card you can get weed at the store like all you know these amazing things and it, it opened up my eyes it opened my eyes to the idea of cannabis being used as an alternative therapy and uh twice in my life cannabis has been um really impactful uh for me i quit smoking cigarettes because instead of smoking cigarettes i was smoking weed um true story every single day i'm not i don't i'm not kidding (laughs) Uh, you know i went from a pack a day to probably like four or five joints a day um and was fine and was able to cut that habit um and then 
when I decided to get off the medication that was also in um, congruence with uh, escaping a really awful um, abusive relationship uh, that, you know, the the guy was actually the one that would get the cannabis, you know. Um, And so then when I finally decided to kind of like just remove everything that did not serve me. A 2013 study conducted through the Center for Mental Health and Addictions in Toronto found that individuals with mental illnesses are over seven times more likely to use cannabis than those without mental illnesses. The issue they found is in the dosage. There is no standardization like there is with alcohol. Someone using a product twice a day that is low in THC versus using a product once a day that is high in THC yields dramatically different results in different individuals. A question I've been wanting to ask uh, you guys is, you know, during, you know, some of like your depressive phases or during, you know, some of the, those, you know, challenging moments, um, you know, do you find yourself turning to cannabis immediately or is this something that you turn to after processing? Um mm myself it's immediately upon processing and now in my 20 or immediately upon you know feeling these depressive symptoms you know like oh shit i'm having you know this is all these things the anxiety the the voices the the negativity just the 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 narratives that do not serve me um kind of like cycle through and i immediately like oh well let me just go you know smoke a joint or hit a vape or you know smoke the bong whatever um, but I'm now recognizing with my 27-year-old brain that um, that is actually cannabis I use it for as a coping mechanism. And that's something that I'm actively going to counseling for to uh, try and reduce um, how much I use it as a coping mechanism. Um, because I'm finally realizing now after, I guess, um, leaving the trauma, um, not necessarily leaving it behind, but you know, removing myself from all that I kind of just like realized that like while I love love cannabis I will always love cannabis I hit a vape before we recorded this like I love cannabis so much um but I also do feel like you know sometimes as I've gotten older and now that I'm in a more you know positive stable welcoming loving happy environment and time in my life um I'm don't know if I'm necessarily dealing with all the feelings that Mm -hmm. exist with carrying all this baggage with me for a few years i'd say i'm on the tail end of that journey i feel like at there during some of my really really low points of dark times i think i would use it as a coping mechanism um but i i have to be careful because i have my d- depressive symptoms and then i have my anxiety symptoms and my anxiety symptoms are super physical um so that's when i really react immediately to cannabis because that's uh, there's nothing you can do to relax me or calm me down in that moment like even i know how i'm a very logical thinking person and no matter i in my head i can just be like i'm fine i know this is bullshit i can talk myself down every day but my body reacts completely differently and that's where i've found major success with cannabis at least in like that immediate like i get it right now i'm good with depression though i have to be very very careful because i'm not gonna lie i certainly cave into on some of those days where there's days i wake up i want to stay in bed all day um and if I do that, you know, sometimes it's a self-perpetuating, you know, vicious cycle. So um, I do, I similar to you, kind of make sure when I'm feeling that way to take time, yeah. Process. Yeah, process, yeah, process what's going on, understand. Um, and then, I mean, then I can make a decision. Yeah, no, actually, it's interesting. I was recommended to start smoking weed when I was at the peak of my eating disorder and I immediately shut that down because I was like, you get the munchies. Like, no, I will not give myself 
marijuana because then I'll just want to eat more and then it'll get out of hand and then I'll be exactly the way I was, which was not bad ever. Um, so when I finally had worked through the majority of my large mental anxieties, um, I got involved in cannabis for sleeping purposes and mm-hmm. realized it does give me the munchies, but it's helpful because my last, the last like two years of my life have been the hardest in terms of just getting back to a normal size, mm-hmm. um, especially since being orthorexic for about two years ruined my gut. Like I literally cannot have dairy now. <laughs> and a lot of glutenish products do hurt a lot. I don't eat meat because I can't stand the texture anymore. I used to live off of steak, so um, <laughs> it was a huge change for me. And so gaining weight um, throughout this recovery has been a really difficult process, but the munchies help a lot with that. <laughs> and so it's been a huge aspect. So, like, yeah, I do turn to it a lot. I started smoking weed just like you when I was 15, um, and then I uh, had to stop because I was like, my anxiety is crazy when I smoke weed. Oh my gosh, people, like, I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong things or just the internal talk, you know, mm-hmm. when you get high <laughs> sometimes. Um, and so I, I obviously returned back to it and love weed. And I know, uh, AG and I've had this conversation, but I am self aware enough to know that though cannabis is helpful. I need a better self-care system. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, uh, there's some deeper rooted issues that I need uh, better coping skills for and I need better education around and uh, just uh, more, I don't know if intricate is the word, but uh, for example, like I I need, or I'm going through EMDR therapy for, you know, living with PTSD. And so though cannabis helps with the symptoms I have, it's not going to help my trust issues, you know? (laughs) And so, but understanding what it means to live with complex PTSD or even PTSD in general, just to be honest with you, helps me recognize where cannabis can come into play with, you know, some of the things I experience. Um, I love that you guys have had positive experiences using cannabis for treatment. Um, I'm kind of on the other side of that. Yeah, where I've had, to it. I've had neg- negative experiences using cannabis to treat my illnesses. Um, I was on um, Effexor for four or five years. Um, I quit cold turkey. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. I experienced withdrawal symptoms for three months, and that was really difficult. Um, and after that, and completely removing all prescription medications from my body, I tried CBD. Mm-hmm. And um, while that was a mostly positive experience, um, CBD is very expensive and um, I cannot afford it. Yeah. Um, and prescription drugs always made more sense because they were more affordable, or at least I could justify that they were more affordable for some reason. I have only been high twice in my life and both experiences were awful. Um, probably because I am such an anxious person all the time. Um, there is plenty of research out there to show that um, THC, depending on the level and, you know, of course, all of the profiles, the terpene profiles, I don't know a ton about cannabis, but yeah, um, you've got THCA. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And oh, so I'm sure it was down. dependent on the strain that I had, but I had very poor reactions um, to the point of 
um, having hallucinations. And um, the second time I got high was actually just a couple of years ago. Um, and I was convinced I was going to die, um, which was great fun for me and my husband um, during that time period. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so I, I'm here not to, not to argue that people can't have positive experiences with cannabis. Obviously, I work in the industry and I am an advocate for cannabis. I, yeah. you know, I want everybody to have the right to use it as they see fit. Um, your but, story is just as important. Agreed. It's your Absolutely. experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, but th there's so much research out there that honestly doesn't say one way or the other whether cannabis is helpful. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's it's also because so everybody much... reacts so differently. Absolutely. It's such right. a personal thing. Exactly. Our own endocannabinoid system, you know, it's it's unique per each individual. And so, you know, I could go smoke Flow OG right now, which is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, if I'm not mistaken, a sativa, but it's a pretty, it's like a, it has indica feels to it mm. and i like oh god i get so creative anyway um, <laughs> um yeah it could, you know i could find it bomb and then somebody else smokes it and they're like i hate this high yeah. you know and maybe that's it's too heady for them and that speaks to traditional pharmaceuticals as well you know absolutely though, oh god, yeah. layer in a unique brain and pharmaceuticals right. i mean every experience is going to be highly unique so and that kind of speaks yeah. back to why it's hard to find comprehensive care because you know, and I understand the need for standardization, but there also needs to be the need for customization. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, and like, it's important too to talk about the different experiences that we each have when consuming cannabis, because right now there is no like federal like institute or that is creating educational content surrounding cannabis. It's literally we're doing preliminary research on this federally legal, uh, you know, Schedule One substance, which it shouldn't be. Um, but the, you know, we're doing this preliminary research, but there's no actual conversation happening, or you're, you know, uh, what am I saying? A conversation that's going to um, provide, you know, universal education about cannabis and like what it, how it impacts people. And you know, I'd say like currently, right now, I'm not necessarily in a negative place with my relationship with cannabis, but I am realizing that you know it's not always the best alternative for me to turn to when I am experiencing certain feelings and I do experience like adverse effects to it too you know even though I love yeah. weed smoke weed every day like you yeah, know same. I still I still experience it I still get you know if I smoke too much of a, of a you know of a sativa granted that whatever that means that doesn't really mean much anymore but um you know there are certain strains that my heart does raise that my my mind does raise my anxiety does like increase you mm -hmm. know tenfold and but then i'm also like all right let's pop some cbd and you'll be a-okay yeah but it's definitely like it's something i'm learning how to redefine that relationship yeah. in my mind if we could just go around and offer just like a one sentence piece of advice um for individuals who have a mental illness that are potentially looking at cannabis as a treatment option. Look, at the end of the day, this is not a proven scientific uh, or, or acknowledged, you know, way to treat certain symptoms. And if you are experiencing any sort of um, suicidal thoughts or any, you know, any it doesn't even have to be that, you know, that drastic, that side of the, the, the spectrum. spectrum. Thank you. But if you're experiencing any sort of inner tor turmoil, please, 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 please. Absolutely. Number one thing that you should do is contact your insurance provider and get an appointment set up with a talk therapist. That person will be able to listen to you, will be able to get all the thoughts out. And if there is any sort of like physical health 
trauma or, or you know challenges symptoms that you're experiencing please seek out your primary care physician because at the end of the day like those as someone who just went to the primary care physician and finally got over that fear like that is the best thing that you can do and just take a piece of pen take a pen a notepad and take as many notes as possible because at the end of the day that is someone else's opinion about what's going on with you but the more that you learn about other things that you may not be aware of like talking to these people like the better off you're going to be please pick up the phone whether it's to your insurance provider or your pcp to make appointments but also too you can call the national suicide prevention lifeline they also have crisis chats um a local crisis line um at other crisis chats um text capabilities are uh, available as well to some nonprofit organizations that are doing uh, mental health work i will say that just like prescription medications just like self-care techniques like uh, whether you're you know taking a bubble bath you're going for a run whatever keep a journal yep. write down everything that you're experiencing because even when you're just yeah. using prescription medications you're you uh, i mean it's always a good idea and some doctors will tell you this to keep like a med journal so you can understand the effects um because you may experience it within a couple of days and it's not there you know like two months from now um and so i'd say do the same thing with cannabis write down where'd you get it from what's the name of the strain um could your bud tender tell you uh you know like their experience with the effects of it um do some research with it as well whether you know depending upon the apps that list like information about strains you might find some conflicting info but still i think the more education that you have and the and the best that you're doing to keep up with your experiences will help guide you and what's best for you yeah i'd say for all those who are struggling with an eating disorder or think they might be um it's actually way more common than people think uh, among men and women and it's scary as hell to confront um so especially when thinking of using cannabis (laughs) as i laugh because i know for me that was not even on my radar as a form of treatment but um I have a picture on my desk right now of my first 14er I climbed and it was right at the peak of my eating disorder it was the tiniest freaking thing but I had made it up that mountain and that was a huge moment for me looking back on like my body is my temple it carried me up that mountain so I could see those views and I'm so young (laughs) and didn't really want to throw that away and want to throw my longevity my health my social life my ability to have kids away and so uh, confronting your fears is such a big step and cannabis helped a lot with that for me specifically Um, so if there's any advice I have to offer it's just knowing where is your fear and, um, and are you ready to confront it I would say and this kind of speaking to those who may not have the resources to call their insurance provider or go see a PCP. I feel like, you know, when you're kind of left to your own devices, there's a gap in the system where, you know, I'm not in an emergency right now. I'm okay. I'm just really struggling. So you're not going to go to the emergency room and you might not want to go to a crisis center because you're like, I'm okay. But like, still you're like, I need help. There's that fine line of I need help, but I'm also okay. It's the gray area where it's like ambivalence is pretty high. Yeah. (laughs) So my advice to anybody experiencing that in particular, my saving grace, and that was my support network. I'll be completely candid in the sense that I didn't have one up until I want to say maybe three years ago. 
Um, in fact, my parents don't even know that I suffer from mental illness. So, hey, guys, if you're listening to this for some reason, sorry. Um, dropping bombs. Uh, but maybe it'll explain a lot. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, seek out a support network regardless, you know, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's somebody professional, a friend, a coworker, anybody. Um, and kind of just own your experience and know that it's, it's unique, but you're not alone. And I'm going to tack on to that a little bit. Um, a support system is so incredibly important and your support system is going to change mm-hmm. and it's going to look different than everyone else's. Um, and take time to find those people yes. that belong in your support system because you're going to find plenty of people that have no business being there. Yep. And that's going to be something that you will struggle with along the way. We and all have. We all do. Please be patient and compassionate yes. to yourself. Yes. Yeah. But also... A be loaded patient. request. Be patient. <laughs> be patient with other people who may not understand what you're going through, who may never understand what you're going through, no matter how hard they try. Yeah. That's okay. We yeah. can't blame them for not it's understanding. It's not for everyone to understand. Exactly. So find that support system. Take time finding that support mm-hmm. system. Hold on to them. Um, and, you know, do whatever Assume you can. Assume good intentions, too. Absolutely. Assume good intentions, especially, like, as you're – Maybe not necessarily building out the whole entire network, but on those days where the patience is low and the, you know, mind is running and the negativity is just caving Negative in. Negative um, self-talk. Oh, yeah. When that <laughs> when that voice is uh, the loudest, um, you know, just assume good intentions when you are reaching out to your support network, when you're, you know, when you have people that are trying to show you that they love you, they care about you, because um, shutting down uh, is not not the answer but you know assuming good intentions could be the the first start into learning what the answer is and celebrate small victories there you go there's so much more for us to understand yeah. about cannabis and, um, and about mental, uh, just our mental health yeah. in general. Just Absolutely. like who, how our brains function, what chemical imbalances dictate what, you know, how much of that is someone one day that just came up with a great idea as to how to describe, you know, this one specific feeling. And we've been using the same mm-hmm. categorization for decades, like really just having a just more open and honest conversation about who we are as humans human beings and trusting that the community we've built and surrounded ourselves with, whether it's fueled by cannabis, it's fueled by prescription drugs, it's fueled by, you know, a a solid family foundation or a work family, whatever the case may be, like having the open, honest communication about what the heck is going on internally, because if you don't do that, how else are we going to learn how to integrate cannabis as a a mental health resource? How else are we going to learn how to integrate, you know, uh, other psychedelics like ketamine? You know, they have a a ketamine is being used to treat depression in some studies in some cases and was just they made a a, a, what is it? The federal government just made a a drug uh, with a sister. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. With a sister drug or sister um, component compound to ketamine. Right. And then um, psychedelic mushrooms, too. I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of the lack of research or lack of. Um, shared research regarding, you know, uh, psychedelics and how they can treat mental illnesses and and, uh, mental symptoms, rather, you know, because I don't necessarily, I mean, this is, I speak to my own specific journey, my own specific, you know, path. Um, I have not been led to believe that, you know, I really am, you know, the, the, the things, the illnesses that they describe me with. I do believe that I experience mental health symptoms very similar to, like, some of these diseases right to some of these illnesses but i don't necessarily believe that like i myself will be chronically ill with 
these symptoms forever. And I do believe that with a more comprehensive like medical care plan, whether it's, you know, through uh, my insurance or it's just, you know, finding a good therapist to talk to, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, exercising every day, eating healthy. I mean, there the self-care does not just mean taking a bath and posting about it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Self-care is literally understanding how your body functions and what your body needs, especially in times of crises. Because mm-hmm. if you don't understand that and you're you are literally at your most vulnerable and left to like, you know, for me, I'm dramatic, but left to the freaking wolves to just fend for yourself and just see what happens. And that should that is not that that should not be the case. Like self-care is learning about yourself learning how to like get what you need and if you don't know what you need just trusting that you have like a solid like connection to like your network to help you out and if you don't like clearly we're all here resources like if you're in the cannabis space like i could feel confident you can come up to yeah. any of us and if Probably. you have challenges i mean we're not therapists we're not licensed like we can't diagnose you. <laughs> but you know if We've you need somebody to talk it. to like come find me i'm sure you'll see me at we can some affirm your feelings show. and speak to what you're yeah. you know, going through and yeah yeah all of this research And me using it as reference in this episode is not to say that cannabis can't be effective for individuals with SPD or mental illnesses. It is simply to say that, similar to prescription drugs, cannabis use as a treatment requires research, input from your doctors, and trial and error. Cannabis products are never one-size-fits-all. Similar to antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, finding the right product for you will take time. You never know exactly how your body and mind will react to a product until you try it. And your experience will vary from everyone around you because it's your experience. The science is imperfect and the results have been largely inconclusive. But doctors and researchers agree that we can't decide one way or the other quite yet. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode. Links to all the resource materials used are in the description. I want to take a moment to thank Vangst for the opportunity to produce and publish an episode like this. Not all companies would be open to its employees being this vulnerable in a public forum. And when I presented this idea to our team, I was met with an outpouring of support. It means the world to me to be involved in an episode like this. And I give my utmost gratitude to Kenzie, Amanda, Jessica, and Lindsay for telling their stories. I hope it helps all of you tell yours. Seed to Sound, presented by Vangst, a podcast for cannabis professionals. Produced by Hannah Holmgren, music by Tyson Weigel. For more information, visit Vangst.com. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals, healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canna podcasters right here on PodConX and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.